0: Lord, you are our living hope, Lord, in a world that is hopeless, in a world that is just despairing when they look around. With all the confusion and all the uncertainty, you are our living hope. You are not a God of old, but a God of today and forever. Lord, you never change. And so we place our hope and our trust in you, and as you give us words to live by, as you give us direction now in the study, we pray that that we would latch onto that and hold it close. Lord, it, it's precious. Your words are life. Mm-hmm. So please lead us now. We ask these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. 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 want not you guys greet one another this morning? Good morning and welcome. How are you this morning? Well, we've come to that time of year again today, uh, this week actually, as uh, it's time to, to vote. So we encourage you. Uh, we, this time of year, people often ask me, Well, Pastor, how? One of them is Bonhoeffer, and I've read both of them. But the other one is Luther. Um, and when you when you realize what took place in the in the Reformation, the impact of it it impacted everything else. And that is, I would really recommend that book. It's 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 a great read. Um, it covers his whole life, his background, and all of that. And um, I know if you read it, uh, you'll. And it's 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 a great for me. It's a great way. Rather than just reading, you know, about Christian history in a cold kind of a way, factual kind of a way, uh, when you put a face to it, uh, it makes so much, so much difference. So uh, I would encourage you to, to read that. Uh, Luther, not a perfect man, but um, God used him to, to bring change uh, to our world. Uh, let's turn to uh, Acts chapter 14. <clears throat> Acts chapter 14, uh, uh, we're not going to read the chapter because uh, we're going we're to read it as we actually go through it. It's uh, uh, a little bit uh, long to read it and then read it again as we go through it, um, and so what we're going to do is just uh, begin with a word of prayer. Father, we praise you, and Lord, uh, we thank you. Thank you for the freedoms that we have, that, Lord, you allowed us to, to be born or to to come to this country, to live in this country, to experience the many, many, many blessings. And Father, we pray for our country today. We pray for guidance and direction for those in leadership positions that you would, you would work, Lord, and uh, you would reveal yourself to those who need to know the true and the living God. And Father, we thank you for the privilege that we have this morning to open a Bible. Lord, uh, not so in places in our world today. So we thank you, Lord, for the privilege to gather to fellowship, and we pray. We invite you, Lord. We invite you that by your spirit, Lord, you might come and just, Lord, uh, just wonderfully, Lord, meet with us. And Lord, as always, you're our shepherd. Lord, uh, you're our teacher. So Lord, uh, bless. we pray, this uh, 14th chapter of the book of Acts. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, God has opened a door, we see in this particular chapter He's opened a door. The door is swung wide open to the Gentile world, um, as we find here as uh, Paul and Barnabas are on their first missionary journey there, Um, and uh, they're basically in a place called uh, Asia Minor. There's going to be a second and a third journey as well, but we're here in the midst of this first one. And what we see here, we see a pattern in the book of Acts. It's not only a pattern for the book of Acts, but it seems to be a pattern for the church and for when God is doing something, when God is working today. And first of all, when, whatever the truth is proclaimed, uh, whenever the name of Christ is named, Uh, there's oftentimes division. You know, Jesus even spoke about that, didn't he, in in Luke's Gospel. He spoke about, you know, when we make a profession for Christ, uh, we may lose some friends, we may be at odds with our family, not that we don't love them, not that we isolate ourselves from them, but the fact of the matter is there oftentimes comes this, this division that takes place there. Uh, the next thing that takes place, we see taking uh, uh, place, and we've seen it thus far, really through this uh, uh, book of Acts here, and we see it in this particular chapter. There comes opposition, uh, and then there comes persecution. Sometimes that persecution may mean, may be more than just political pressure. I think that's really when we talk about political pressure. I would really not put that so much in in the on the side of persecution as I would on the side of opposition. But then when it comes to persecution, then there's just basically uh, a a violence, you know, against God's people and against the church. But the other thing we see also, too, and and praise God for it, we see changed lives. Uh, we, We see God working, you know, changing lives, changing the family, impacting the community and the culture. Uh, and that's what Christianity, and that's what God has always wanted to do. He's one, he wants to, um, you know, work in us and through us, and the impact of that is other people see that. Uh, they'll see, you know, they'll see something that's transformational, uh, something that in a sense, I know, when I first saw the Christianity at work, um, I didn't want to tell anybody this, but, but I, I just, what I saw at work in them, I wanted. it. I wanted it in my life because I think, you know, when God is really working in the midst of His people, there's a magnetism there. There's a draw there Uh, there, because God's created us. He's created us for His Spirit. Uh, And when we see that working in the right way um, in the the lives of people that are Spirit-filled and they're just loving the Lord and they're loving people, they're loving their neighbors, there's something so attractive about it. It just kind of draws us. Uh, and we see that taking place in the early church. And in a sense, it's supposed to be taking place in our lives as well, isn't it? So again, there's this, you know, there's, the, there's this, you know, transformation that takes place and the impact of that, you know, in the culture. And uh, what we see taking place in this particular chapter is that even though Paul is in this, in these different cities and places for such a limited amount of time, um, you know, each one of them is a beachhead. Each one of them is, you know, God is working and they develop into a church, Uh, And even before he leaves, on his way back through, he's visiting, and he's encouraging these believers, and of course, he's going to do that again, because you know what? It wasn't what Paul shared, the message he shared, wasn't just predicated upon Paul and Paul being there, and Paul just sort of, you know, uh, uh, cultivating this thing and developing this thing, Uh, but it was the work of the Holy Spirit. That's why sometimes when you just maybe, um, you know, you just maybe share the gospel with somebody... And uh, maybe you don't see them for a long time, and all of a sudden you, you, you meet them again, and man, God has done a wonderful work in their lives. Um, and we have to remember that. It's, you know, when we share the truth, it's the, the work of the Holy Spirit, you know, working in people's lives and, and challenging them. And, and that's the beauty about speaking truth. And that's why you never have to force anybody. You don't have to force people with the Bible or with the gospel, but you just give out truth. Uh, and remember, the Bible speaks about the Holy Spirit being the spirit of truth, Uh, And he will take truth, and he has a way sometimes of taking truth uh, and just working that in someone's heart and mind over, you know, a period of time. He has a way of sometimes in other, you know, with other people confirming the truth that you spoke maybe, you know, to them or you spoke, you know, into their life. And so that's why it's important we do, you know, we need to be, you know, up front, you know, with the gospel and and to speak the truth. So again, when you think about the survival of these, just these fledgling groups, I mean, it was just, uh, it, was, it was a work of God. It was, you know, it was God's thing. He was doing it. Remember, Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 16, I will build my church. But also, too, he, not only will he build his church, he keeps his church. You know, he that keepeth Israel shall not slumber nor sleep. And it's the same God, you know, keeping his people. And aren't you thankful? I've said this to Margie. I said, honey, if I go before you, you know, you get to a certain point in life, you talk about these goofy things. You know, as you're, you're, when you're young, you know, young couple, you don't ever talk about these kind of things. But when you get older, you talk about, you know, well, if I go first and you go first, and she says, she, says she has to go before me. But, uh, you know, if chances are I'll probably go before her. And, uh, but I said, I want this on my gravestone. Three words. Three simple words that say it all. He kept me. He kept me. Oh, the grace of God to to keep us, uh, to watch over us, and and He that work. If you've committed your life to Jesus, that that's that's happening. Even sometimes we don't, maybe we don't feel it, because uh, so often you know we put we put a little too much stock in feelings and emotions and all those sorts of things. Not that you're to be unemotional, uh, but but we realize you know it's not because you know. Uh, you know, we're going through a trial, we feel that God doesn't love us. You know, what's going on here? We're going through a trial. The fact of the matter is he, he does. And, and we're talking about Job, you know, on Wednesday night. And look at the things that Job had to go through. And look what God said about him in chapters 1 and 2. There's nobody, nobody like this guy in all the earth. Uh, and, of course, his friends, you know, uh, they didn't understand poor Job and what he had to go through. But um, God was was with him. Um, you know, if God is for us, who will be against us? And uh, and, and, and the name Emmanuel that Isaiah speaks about, uh, giving a title to the Lord Jesus, uh, He would be Emmanuel. Simply means this: God with us. And when you commit your God your your life to God, when you commit your, your soul to the Lord, He is with you. Uh, he is he again. Um, he makes a covenant with us. It's a covenant of grace. As we give our lives, as we commit ourselves to him, uh, he's there. He's there for us. He's watching over us. Uh, He's keeping us. He's protecting us. He's providing for us. What comprehensive work he does on our behalf. So now it happened in Iconium that they went together to the synagogue of the Jews and so spoke to a great multitude, both of Jews and of Greeks, believed. So we see a receptivity here. There is a hunger, I believe. You know, God puts a hunger... Uh, you know, in our, in our soul, in our psyche. Uh, we try to fill it in so many different ways. But again, it's only filled when we really turn to the true and the living God. And so uh, here these folks have been, you know, just uh, in a sense waiting, waiting for this good news. That's what the gospel means simply. It's the good news. It's the good news that Messiah has come. It's the good news that our, the Savior of the world, that he's come. He doesn't just come for us as a herd. He comes for us in an individual way. And that's why we say that, you know, when, when, you, when you open your life to the Lord, and you are saved, and you are born again, you will know it. You will know it. There will be a change, a transformation that takes place within your heart. It's not just a matter of signing something or putting up your your hand. Not that those things are wrong, but I'll tell you what, those things, you can do them, and they may not save you. But it's it's an individual, personal matter of putting our faith and our trust in Him. And I'll tell you when that happens, when that transaction between heaven and your heart, when you have just sincerely, uh, you know, I think uh, oftentimes we, you know, we'd have all these different formulas of, you know, what to say and how to come to God. Um, but you know what? You can personalize that. Um, you, you, you know, my my personal thing was: if you're real, come into my heart, come into my life, kind of a thing. As I was in that dental lab back in 1975 uh, on an afternoon one time. If you're real, come into my heart. You know, the thief on the cross. You know, what he says. You know, to the Lord. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Well, that doesn't sound like the four spiritual laws to me, okay? But it doesn't have to be. It's a sincere, you know, basically committing of our lives and our trust, you know, to the Lord. And when that happens, you're gonna know it. You're gonna know it when there and again, and you don't just do it lightly, but you do it sincerely. You, you you surrender, you commit yourself. And so as Paul and Barnabas comes to this synagogue, here's all these folks, and they're just they're receptive because, in a sense, that was that was, in a sense, the heartbeat of Judaism. Waiting for the Messiah. You're looking for him to come. Remember, we talked about last week Simeon and Anna, okay, these two Old Testament saints. You know, when Joseph and Mary come into the temple to offer up Jesus, you know, for circumcision and dedication and that kind of thing, it says they were just led in there by the Spirit and both of them, in a sense, they just sort of, they prophesy uh, because, again, they've been waiting, and, 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 and I think God has placed that in the hearts of everyone. They're, they're In a sense, they're, they're sort of waiting. In a, and, again, the world and Satan, he has all kinds of counterfeits that we stuff and we try to fill our lives with. But I'll tell you what, the only true fit, the only real fit, is when we commit our lives to the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, because he is the Savior of all men. And I'll tell you what, when you do that, when you do that, you'll know it. And you know something? Other folks will know it, too. Because there's a wonderful transition that begins to take place, you know, at that. Now we see in verse 2, the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds. And we, with this, we talked about this opposition, um, it's going to follow. Uh, and sometimes you wonder, too, you know, sometimes, even today, not so much maybe back then, these folks were, a lot of these folks, you know, in that, in that world, you know, we think of our educational system, a lot of these folks were just simply illiterate. But, you know, when you think about, you know, how, uh, and ponder, you know, sometimes how people respond in a very negative way or even a violent way, you know, to the gospel, um, you know, when you think about, uh, you know, it just seems to be so illogical and irrational, you know, and, and how can intelligent reasoning folks respond and become so ugly? And the fact of the matter is we forget that there's a very malevolent force in our universe today, and it's called Satan. And he has opposition uh, against the work of God, wherever it is, even sometimes in the smallest way. Uh, he brings you know, different opposition against the work of God in someone's individual life or in a, in a group, uh, in a nation. That's why so often you know, when you think about missionaries making a beachhead you know, in a community, in a nation, wherever the case may be, you think, of look at Paul, the Apostle Paul, all of the opposition that he faced. Do we think somehow because we live in a so-called Christian nation, which really isn't a Christian nation at all, um, that somehow we're not going to get opposition? We are. We're going to get pushback. Um, and, and I think we have to be careful how we respond to that. Uh, we don't want to become ugly. We don't want to respond in kind, okay? We want, we want to be gracious. We want to be merciful. We see that here taking place, and it says, Therefore, they stayed there a long time, uh, speaking boldly in, in the name of the Lord, uh, who is bearing witness to, uh, uh, to the word of his grace and granting signs and wonders to be done uh, by their hands. And so again here, uh, the Lord's you know, purposing and allowing certain miracles to take place here. Um, and and what I think the design of it was simply to confirm the message. Uh, that had to be very a, a very powerful confirmation. Um, as they were hearing the word, well, you know, is this true? I think everybody, when they hear something new, uh, something that's basically out of their wheelhouse, you know, is this true? You know, can I really put my faith, can I put my belief... Um, and, you, and you look at all the different crazy philosophical concepts that people just sort of, they, they, they basically, they, they put their life sometimes into those things. Uh, I've often said, you know, there's a number of times, you know, before I knew Christ, and and, uh, and I was reading a lot of philosophical stuff and, you know, existentialism, and I remember my first book I read by Carl Rogers. I was like, wow, that's really cool, man. That's really great, you know, type of thing. And then as I read the second and third book by Rogers, uh, I just realized it was a circular, circular reasoning it wasn 't really doing anything, but i 'll tell you what when you come to Jesus Christ and you open up your heart to His truth and your word, it will challenge you and it will change you it 'll speak to our issues, to our situations you know again, if we sincerely come you know, and put our trust and believe and faithfully read the bible that 's why we said it 's a living book it 's a, a book that 's alive it 's active. Uh, and when we come and read the book in faith, God will indeed speak into us and speak into our particular situation. Now, here's the division in verse 4. The multitude of the city was divided, uh, part sided with the Jews and part uh, with the apostles. Um, and, and I think this division is really only settled for somebody when they really do commit their self and they turn their life over to the Lord. And we're told here a violent attempt was made both by Gentiles and the Jews with the rulers to abuse and stone them. So I think there may be perhaps whenever you get the rulers involved, there's probably some kind of political arrangement, you know, kind of a thing. Um, like uh, so often uh, we, you know, we look at the Gospels. The accusations against the Lord is, you know, he he doesn't want Caesar to be our God, you know, kind of a thing. They tried to turn it into a political, you know, kind of thing. But, of course, you know, even Pilate kind of saw through that and tried to wash his hands of it. But, of course, he was responsible ultimately for turning the Savior over, you know, to a crowd that basically wanted to murder him. And again, Satan, he has so cultivated violence, you know, against, you know, Christians over the centuries, kind of like, he's kind of developed it in a sense like a fine art. Uh, and it's nothing new because Psalm 44, uh, Paul picks up on that in Romans chapter 8. Uh, chapter, Romans chapter 8 might be the pinnacle, uh, in a sense, of the New Testament. Um, it, it's such a rich chapter there. And it's the one chapter in all the New Testament where the Holy Spirit is referred to 20 different times. Uh, so it was when you move out, you know, as you know, you move out of chapter 7 where it speaks about this struggle, this wrestling that we have going back and forth. You know, I want to do the right thing, but I find that I can't do the right thing. And the thing that I, you know, the thing that I want to do, I don't do. The thing that I don't want to do, I do. But then when it gets to chapter 8, Uh, He speaks about this wonderful liberation that we have by the Spirit of God. But then he says also something, too, relative to this whole area of opposition, and he makes a quotation here from Psalm 44. He goes, this has happened, in a sense, when you think about opposition and persecution. Now, we call it persecution against the church. Now, against the Jewish um, uh, Judaism, and and the Jews, we call it it, uh, anti-Semitism. It's the same thing, basically, but to two different groups. Uh, because Satan is basically, whether it's the Jew or the Christian Gentile that's come to Christ, we are in his sights. He wants to, in any possible way, to destroy, um, you know, God's work. You know, it's interesting. Um, the Bible speaks about being the apple of God's eye, okay? Uh, we see this in the Old Testament. Uh, we see it also, to reference to it, you know, in the New, New Testament as well. And the apple of God's eye is God's people, okay? Okay. Um, and, uh, and, and we see so often, the, you know, a constant, um, you know, opposition to the things of God. I just, uh, I just start reading this book. I don't know if you've read it. It's called Dark Agenda. It's called The War to Destroy Christian America. Uh, and it's interesting because it's written by David Horowitz. And David Horowitz is not a Christian. He's not a Christian. He's a best-selling author. Uh, uh, more than once, the uh, New York Times uh, best-selling list. Uh, you look at his history, he had a very strong leftist background, and, uh, and it's, it's really fascinating to see here how he speaks about the extreme left and the media, how it's trying to destroy Christian America. But here's the thing that we have to be very careful about. That's not so much against us personally, but it's against the Lord, and it's against morality. That's really what it's about. I remember uh, one of the chants uh, that uh, took place um, against uh, some of the Catholic folk who had been protesting uh, the abortion uh, a number of years ago, about 20 years ago, and one of the chants against them was, keep your rosary off our ovaries. Oh, I thought that was so clever. Uh, But it's basically saying, keep your morality out of our life. And we see that taking place, you know. I was thinking about, in the sense of, uh, as I started to read this book by, by Horowitz, and it was very insightful because he's a proclaimed agnostic, okay? He's not a Christian. Uh, and yet, uh, to take up the, the writing of this book, and uh, and it's really an acclaimed work, as a matter of fact, I think it's only actually a few years old. But over in Psalm chapter 2, um, you know, we find there this messianic psalm there and it speaks about standing against the Lord uh, and His Christ, uh, His anointed. It says, uh, Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth uh, set themselves and the rulers take, take counsel together against the Lord, against God, and against His anointed. That's, that's you know, basically the, the term for Messiah, the anointed one, the Christ. Saying, Let us break their bonds in pieces, And cast away their courts from us, and that's what the world says to Christianity. That's why they don't like it. We don't want your moral restraints upon our lives, and uh, and we have to be very careful. We don't take that in a in a personal kind of a way, and we strike back against people. That's that's the wrong response. That's the wrong reaction. You know, again, we need we need to love our neighbors. Okay, Uh, we, we need to be very careful how we communicate. You know, we talk about you know the love of God. And, uh, and how important it is you know, that when those that oppose us, when those who stand against us, we need to be able to express that. You know? uh, you know, sometimes I think uh, we, we need to be very careful you know, as Christians when we're at a place, in particular there's a protest going on, sometimes that's a flashpoint. And, um, and sometimes you get people just sort of shouting in your face and all that sort of thing. How do you respond to that? How do you react to that? I think it's very, it's very careful, very important because, we're, you know, our Christianity oftentimes is measured, you know, by how we respond to different situations and different circumstances. Because, again, we want to be able to speak into people's lives and, in a sense, to get out of the way and let the Lord speak. Uh, sometimes, too, we can be speaking so loud we're in the way. And and we need to be able to get out of the way and let the truth work and let the Holy Spirit work, you know, in people's lives and in the in a particular situation. Uh, So they're talking about here uh, about stoning them. They became aware of it, and they fled to Lystra and Derbe, city of Lake Lyconia, and to the surrounding region. Um, And they were preaching the gospel there. And in Lystra, a certain man, without strength in his feet, was sitting a cripple from his mother's womb, who had never walked. And this man heard Paul speaking, Um, and Paul observing him intently, seeing that he had faith to be healed. And with a loud voice, and said with a loud voice, stand up straight on your feet, and he leaped, he leaped and he walked. Now this was a spontaneous thing. This is why Paul and Barnabas didn't say, well, today... Uh, we're going to plan a miracle healing, okay? No, it doesn't happen that way. It's just a spontaneous thing that, that, that God wanted to do. Doesn't it remind you of Acts chapter 3, where John and Peter are walking up to the temple at the, at the ninth hour, the hour of prayer. They're going up to pray at the temple in Jerusalem there, and they come through the beautiful gate. And how many times Jesus came through that beautiful gate, and that guy was sitting there, and it said, basically, he had a congenital situation as well. And, and he's asking for alms. It's a good place to ask for money. You know, here's religious people going up to the temple. You're religious? Okay, help me out of my situation. And he was just sort of plop there, you know, every day. I don't know if you've ever seen somebody who has, who has been crippled or whatever the case may be. I've seen that a number of times because I grew up in Philadelphia. And sometimes people that were so absolutely crippled and handicapped would just be put on the street um, you know, with, a, with, a, with, a, with a, a pot in front of them uh, to throw money into it. And so he's asking for alms, and it says, it says Peter gazing at him. And obviously, the Holy Spirit was speaking and prompting Peter within his heart. A- and Peter reaches down and grabs the guy and pulls him up, and all of a sudden, it says his feet and legs and ankles receive strength, and all of a sudden, the guy's leaping. This is the, this is the same kind of thing that's taking place here. And when you think about, you know, something congenital like that, there's no nerves there that work. All the muscles are absolutely atrophied, every tendon. <laughs> it's a miraculous thing. Have you ever been laid up for a couple of weeks and then you get out of bed and how shaky you feel? Because, you know, you've kind of, you're somewhat atrophied because you haven't used your, you haven't used your body. So here we have just an incredible, just bona fide miracle, you know, taking place here through, you know, through the lives of Paul and Barnabas. And, and sometimes maybe this is the word of knowledge, you know, that uh, he had, he had a sense and an awareness, a discernment that this guy had the faith to be healed. I remember a story um, that comes by way of Pastor Chuck and um, wasn't told by him but by somebody else that he was having a meeting one time and there was a guy right up in front, it was in a wheelchair. And, and the Lord just spoke to, to, to Chuck's heart to go down um, and, and to grab his hand and, and tell him he's healed in the name of Jesus and pull him out of the chair. I'll tell you what, man, I'll tell you, that takes a lot of faith to do that. And he went down there and he did that. So his son said later to him, Dad, there was somebody sitting right beside him in a wheelchair. Why didn't you take him, pull him out too? The Lord didn't tell me. Yeah, the Lord didn't tell me to do that. It's, a, spont- it's, a, it's a, a sovereign, you know, work of God when that kind of thing happens. And um, I'd like to see it happen more often, Okay. You know, C.T. St- Studd, Have you ever heard about C.T. Studd, uh, he got saved, uh, I think, probably. I think he got saved because of Moody's ministry. He went to Africa. He was a rich guy. He was a sports, he was a sports star. He was, uh, uh, in England, uh, he was a star at cricket, okay, and uh, he was a cricketer. and uh, so he was a sports, you know, uh, personality, but he was also a very wealthy man, left that all behind, and, uh, and he, goes to, he goes to Africa. And it was it's said about him that when he'd have meetings at times, and, uh, and obviously the Lord was maybe prompting him and moving him, uh, that the Lord wanted to heal people, he would go down and he would break their crutches. He'd take their wheelchair and break up their wheelchair. And I guess you better walk after that, right? Well, I don't have that gift, okay, so... <laughs> But again, just God confirming his work. You know, everybody, yeah, wow, man, this guy's been, he's, he's, he's been lame. We've, we've seen it for years. And so you can imagine the impact of that. You know, how it just, in a sense, confirms that this is a God thing. This is a God thing at work. And I think even in a sense, maybe in a much, you know, a much different way, but your changed life. Is to impact other people where they who knew you before, they they see what God's done in your life. They say, "Wow, man, <laughs> he's got a hold of something." I know he used to have marijuana and he used to have you know LSD, and I hope it's not that. But man, this guy has really changed. And I think it just you know brings an opportunity, you know, to introduce the gospel to people, and just to you know to 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 see what you know uh, God can awesomely and wonderfully do. Uh, and that's why it takes a little bit of boldness, I think, on our part, don't, doesn't it? Where we, you know, we get bold and we begin to tell people what well, about what God can do and what He does and how He changes hearts and changes lives. And when the people saw what Paul had done, they raised their voices, saying in the Lyconian uh, language, "The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men." Now, Paul. Um, you know, they are speaking in their colloquial, you know, local language. You know, it was a Greek world. It was a Greek-speaking world. And and some of these colonies, they spoke Latin. They spoke Italian there in some of these uh, different colonies and so forth. But here they're speaking in their original language. And Barnabas and Paul have no idea, you know, what they're doing. And uh, they want to worship. They want to worship, you know, Paul and Barnabas for this particular miracle. And and this interesting thing, how it kind of coincided with an ancient legend. Um, the legend was simply that, the, that, uh, uh, that, that uh, Zeus and Mercury had come down to Lyconia. And uh, they went through thousands of homes, knocking on the doors, looking for hospitality. And the only, the only person that offered hospitality was this elderly couple. Uh, Philemon and, and Balsus And they welcomed, in this legend, they welcomed uh, Zeus and Mercury into their home, uh, kept and treated them well, let them stay the night. And the next day, Zeus and Mercury took this elderly couple, took them to a hill outside of the village there. And as they looked down, the whole village was flooded. But their little home was turned into a palace with a golden roof. So that was basically the legend. And you know, what's kind of interesting when you think about legends it's amazing the things that people believe. You know something? Whoever you are, you got to believe in something. Everybody has a philosophy. Everybody, you know, people say, well, I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm an atheist or I'm agnostic. I don't have any religion. Yeah, you do. Your philosophy is your religion because your philosophy is basically what you live by. But eventually, you kind of find out that the philosophies of this world, they simply don't work. And when you get into antiquity, you get people believing the Greek mythologies and all kinds of crazy legends and things of that particular nature. Somebody comes along and spins a story, and people will put their, and I, you know, I look at my life before I knew Jesus Christ, and it was basically a composite. I had all these different little components of different things that I believed. And you put them together and you make a composite out of that. And that's your belief system. That's your basically philosophy for life or that's your religion. But it's only when the truth of Jesus Christ comes and the word of God. And as we're exposed to, to Bible truth, does it cut across the grain of all those things. You know, quite often when people are living out their philosophy, philosophies, they find out, well, this doesn't really quite work here and it doesn't quite work there. You know, something wonderful about the truth, and that's why when Jesus said you'll know the truth, the truth will set you free. And you know what? The truth will keep you free. And he said in John 14, 6, I am the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And it's not just in a sense we have some kind of just an academic theory, okay? As far as Christianity is concerned, it's not just something we we ascend, you know, like the ascended masters, we ascend to a certain type of thinking, um, and and that's what you know. That's what makes us so different. No, it's faith in a person. It's faith in the person of Jesus Christ, because He is the truth. He is the Savior of all mankind. And so here they've uh, they've they've believed this, and they think that Paul and Barnabas that this legend was perhaps maybe a prophecy. It was maybe a prophecy. Here they are. Here's Zeus and Mercury. They're in our midst. And, you know, for the apostles, this was the worst possible scenario. You know, for unbelievers, it's fine. That's that's basically, you know, you just accept any kind of crazy thing. Because, you know, you, you notice that, you know, in, in the pagan way of thinking, you, you'll you deify anything or anyone. We see that all the time, don't we? The, the deification of some philosophy or some, some thought, some belief system, uh, a lot of people are big, man, into Buddhism, because Buddhism is very broad. It just kind of, you know, it's just kind of a belief where whatever you, whatever you believe, you can kind of incorporate it somehow into, into Buddhism. Um, but, of course, when you come to, when you come to the Bible, um, you know, we, we find that, uh, you know, the truth, uh, Jesus said the truth is, is narrow. Um, it, it, you know, it, broad is the road that, that leads to destruction. But uh, narrow is the way that basically leads to life. So anyway, here, but when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard this, they tore their clothes, they ran in among the multitude crying out, saying, Men, uh, why why are you doing these things? We also are men, and with the same nature as you, and preached you that you should turn from these useless things to the living God who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all things that are in them. So it's interesting here, uh, as he speaks here to this heathen audience, his, his message is different. It's instructive, it's somewhat gracious as he speaks about it, but he's saying basically, you know, you need to turn from these idols. We're, we're human, we're just regular guys, um, like you are. Now, what a contrast between going into the synagogues, okay? Because why? There's a background there. there there's truth there. Um, there's a, you know, there. There's a foundation that has been laid there in the, in the synagogues so they can come in and just dovetail because why? They're bringing to them the Scripture. Um, this uh, the author, John Stott, that I was reading, he makes a, a very, I think, uh, important point, and he says this... He says, we must sufficiently recognize the unique position of Paul's Jewish and God-fearing converts, which were Gentiles, who already had a strong Old Testament background in doctrine and ethics. Joachim Jeremias wrote of Judaism uh, as the first great missionary religion to make its appearance in the Mediterranean world and of the unparalleled period of missionary activity which followed. In consequence, the Christian missionaries found proselytes and god fears everywhere. The overwhelming success of the mission of the Apostle Paul, who in the space of 10 years had established centers uh, of the Christian faith throughout almost the whole uh, of the contemporary world, depended partly on the fact that everywhere he was able to build on the ground prepared by the Jewish mission. It's important to understand that, okay? There was a background, there was a foundation that was already established, and he was able to take advantage of that because these were folks, in a sense, who were saying, yeah, we know the scriptures. Yeah, we heard about Messiah. We're waiting for him. And I think also, too, when, you read, when I read that piece, and what a reminder of, you know what? We stand on the shoulders of those who have gone before us. We have so benefited by those um, that have lived sacrificially for those that have lived and died you know, for the basically for the cause of the the, the gospel, and, and for every when you think about everybody that's gone before us, they've blazed a trail, they've laid groundwork for the truth, so that in a sense, as we just sort of come along, it makes our task so much easier. And that was certainly the case here. So we see this contrast between sharing, and that's why I think it's also important to realize. You know, we live in, for the most part, folks. We may be a post-Christian nation. We are not a Christian nation. We are a pagan nation. We are a pagan nation that has some Christians and, and, and godly people in it. I can remember years ago, Margie came home, she was a school bus driver, and she'd always try to talk, introduce the kids in some way, to talk to them, and, she were, and there was some kids one day she began to talk to about about knowing Jesus. And the little boy said to her, well, who is Jesus? Do I know him? Because she was talking to them about Jesus, you know, as if he's a person, yes, and, and, and I know him. Do you know Jesus? And oh, I don't know Jesus. You know, who is he? You know, kind of a thing. And, uh, and that's not an anomaly anymore. That, that's very common, you know, as we look, you know, in our, in our world that's very unchurched. Uh, we're not living in 1940. We're not living in 1950. Uh, we're living in 2021, and our culture has radically changed. And we, we need to be able to, you know, to speak, um, you know, to our culture, to our situation. And the only way that you and I are going to be able to do that is to know the Bible, to know the Word of God, and to be able to have a discernment. Because I think there's a discernment that comes the more that we know the Bible, the more that we're instructed in the truth. There's a discernment that comes um, relative to where people are, uh, you know what? What uh, you know what we need to speak to them, uh, you know, given the circumstances and the situations. And I think that the Lord can give us, you know, that the particulars and the sensitivity. And that's what we see here. Uh, again, Paul realizes that this group does not have any kind of biblical background whatsoever. But again, you know, he's speaking to them basically about God, who's the creator of all things. Uh, he's basically giving them, in a sense, something that 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 touches. What, we, what, the, what the theologians call natural revelation, okay? When you look at creation or when you look at the body, you know, look at the body, look at the, 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 you know, the incredible complication, you know, of the, the human body. It's incredible when you think about, you know, think about all the things that we can bake in a laboratory. laboratory. You, you can't really make one eyeball in a laboratory. Um, we, we can't really fabricate, you know, the inner workings of the eardrum. You know, when you think about, uh, you know, we talk about, uh, you know, creation and so forth, and, you know, here's a watch, it sits on my wrist, um, and it's the argument of basically the, the watchmaker. Uh, you look at the how did that watch take place, well... Uh, there's a long history, you know, to finding the raw materials and then all the technology that goes around basically making a watch. But I'll tell you what, the wrist that it stands on stand, sits on, this little servo here, is far more complicated than this watch ever is. And so, again, we need to be able to speak, in a sense, you know, to folks and to, you know, the things that are, you know, current and relevant, you know, in our situation. And I remember uh, as a, uh, a Marine in Vietnam, uh, and I never forgot this because I wasn't thinking one religious thought. R- religion or the Bible or God was so far from my thinking. And I'm sitting out there one night on a bunker, and I looked up at the, the, the far eastern sky, and it was I never seen anything. I grew up in the city, so a lot of times you don't get to really see the stars when you're living in the city. And it was a star-studded sky like I had never, ever seen before. And I'm just sitting there watching this and marveling kind of at it when all of a sudden this thought came into my mind. And and, and again, the words weren't in a religious context. But I thought to myself, there must be a supreme being who made this. And I think people have this kind of passing thoughts all the time where God's revealing something to them. A lot of times, you know, people just chalk it up to good luck or coincidence or whatever the case may be. But we really believe that God pursues us. He goes after us. He wants to to reveal himself. And, And that's what, in a sense, he's speaking about here when he says, nevertheless, he did not leave himself without a witness, in that he did good and gave us rain from heaven, fruitful seasons... You know, filling our hearts with food and gladness. So finally, he's basically saying here, you know, about, you know, God's providential care, you know, how God is kind, he's gracious, he's working. You may have your stories of how the Lord was maybe speaking into your heart, into your life, you know, before you actually came to that point. Maybe he used somebody, or maybe it was just in a moment when you were pondering, or maybe it was, you know... uh, (laughs) You look back after you come to know the Lord, you see, well, Lord, you were there. You were there. And uh, one night in 1965, my mother shot my father. She shot him right in the chest. She thought that he was a burglar. And my mother had, there were some circumstances, and she was on nerve pills and uh, uh, very, very fearful and uh, my father goes out the back of the house because she heard a noise, and he, and he comes in the front door, and she shoots him. She shoots him with my, my rifle. Rifle they bought me for my 13th birthday. And I hear my mother screaming, and I look down the stairs, and there's my father uh, gasping for air and bloody. And my mother's just standing over him screaming. And we call for the rescue squad, and we get to the to the hospital. My mother had been a nurse, actually, in that hospital. It was a hospital where I was born, Catholic Hospital. And uh, <clears throat> a, uh, about 5 o'clock in the morning, the doctor comes in, and my father had been in surgery for hours, and he was shot with a 22 here. It, it went in, punctured his, his, his uh, lung, hit a rib, went down through his liver, hit his pelvis, and came back up through his shoulder. I mean, he was ripped up. And the doctors, you know, they came back after that surgery for several hours, and they said, you know what, we did all that we can do. And I remember there was a little chapel there in that hospital. And I went into that little chapel, and I said, Lord, if you will save my father's life, I will do whatever you want me to do. And as I think about and look back on all that, I believe God put that prayer in my heart through that traumatic event. You know, my father lived. He lived almost 80 years old. And not only did he live, but he was a steel worker. And he worked in steel his whole life. And I look back and I think, Lord, that happened in 1865 and 10 years later, you revealed yourself to me and you saved me. And here I am doing what God wanted me to do. I had no idea. I had no idea when I said that prayer, Lord, I'll do whatever you want me to do. (laughs) God has a way of working through the worst circumstances, doesn't he? He's there for us. And sometimes it's in the trauma of of our lives and our circumstances. Uh, He is there drawing us and just, Giving us an opportunity to just surrender, just to commit our life to Him. And and with these sayings, they could scarcely restrain the multitude from sacrificing to them. (laughs) And what happens next is it's just such a reminder of the fickleness and how quickly human nature changes. So changeable, isn't it? And we know this from our own experience. And sometimes we marvel at how sometimes maybe somebody who made us a promise and how quickly that promise is retracted. (laughs) It's just human nature. And we see the fickleness of this here. The Jews from Antioch and Iconium came and their influence there, they had persuaded the multitudes, and they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. No good deed goes unpunished. Okay? (laughs) That, that, again, that's just, that's just simply human nature. Moments ago, he, he was at God's status. And that's what happens with human nature. You can go from hero to zero in just a matter of moments. I mean, they're, they're going to worship and sacrifice to these guys. You know, Paul and Barnabas. And now they're stoning the Apostle Paul. When you think about how fickle human nature, nature can be, and again, we know that. We know that personally. We know that from our own, sometimes the way we handle situations or, um, you know, sometimes we'll look back over some event and the Holy Spirit will give us, you know, insight on our response or reaction in a situation. I can't tell you how many times for me I've said, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me. Forgive me for the way I handled that. Forgive me for what I said. Forgive me for how I reacted. You know, in Isaiah chapter 33, uh, God says to his people there, he says, wisdom and knowledge will be the stability of your times. And see, for us, it's the wisdom of God. It's the knowledge of God. And, and, And yes, you know, like I've said before, you know, about so many situations that I've looked at where someone's messed up, I said, Well, there, there go I, except for the grace of God. That's the only thing that kept me from it was the grace of God. And, and our stability that, that we have, it comes from Him. He stabilizes things, He stabilizes us internally, spiritually, e- emotionally. I had somebody asked me about. PTSD, Um, and most guys have it that are in combat, and I remember I had it, and and somebody said, well, how did you deal with this PTSD? I said, well, initially, I I dealt with it by drinking. (laughs) That That was my anesthesia, but I said, when I came to Christ, that was my closure, That's what brought stability into my life. And he'll do that for us. He'll shore things up. He'll bring us stability. Because, you know, the the fact of the matter is sometimes, you know, you look at people and sometimes certain people, they look so confident, so self-assured. But that person in themselves, they know their instabilities. They know their vulnerabilities. They know their weaknesses. And I'm so thankful I'm so thankful that I don't have to put on airs to pretend and be something that I'm not. And like Paul, you know, Paul in a sense he brings out, you know, he's transparent. He says, you know, he speaks about his weakness. And he goes he, he goes and says basically, when I am weak, then am I strong. Because it's his strength. It's his stability. you know sometimes we can find ourselves in a career or a job that we feel like maybe perhaps I'm a little bit over my head here and if you're in one of those kind of situations and i think there's a lot of situations in life not just the job where we find like wow well, I'm, I'm i'm you know i'm just kind of you know just a little bit over my head here this is not my skill set type of thing And if you find yourself in one of those situations, you need to say, Lord, I'm looking to you. I'm trusting you. Lord, will you be my stability? Lord, will you be my confidence? And that's what he's promised to do. He's promised to be for us what we cannot be in and of ourselves. This old human nature, it's so easily disposed to sinful ways and tendencies and, and weaknesses. And God says, I'll be for you what you cannot be. That, that's the beautiful thing. That's the beautiful thing when you read the Bible. And, and you read about God coming in the person of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, the Messiah. It's to do in you and to do in me what we cannot do in and of ourselves. That's why we don't have to be hopeless. We don't have to live a life of depression. You know how many people are in our world today and they, feel like, they just feel like, I can't measure up. I can't measure up. He'll measure up for you, He will do in us what we cannot do in and of ourselves. I find that he didn't just save me in 1975. He is continually saving me. One of the things he's saving me from, me. And I'll tell you what, that's salvation, folks. That's salvation. So they dragged him out of the city after they stoned him, supposing him to be dead. (laughs) However, when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up. It's like that little quote I have from Oswald Chambers, out of the wreck I rise. I don't think he was dead. I mean, it could have been a resurrection. But I think they were just supposing him to be dead. And, And maybe the disciples, you know, they come around, oh, man. He was doing so good, <laughs> you know. There he is all dusty and and he, and he stands up. Going to go back in there. <laughs> going to go back in there. What a guy. What a guy. You're going to meet these people. You know that? We're going to have eternity to spend in heaven where we'll meet some of these great Bible characters and there are going to be times where in heaven and eternity, you're going to sit down and say, Hey, man, tell me your story. Tell me your story about this. Hey, Elijah, man, what was it like? You know, <laughs> when you up against the prophets of Baal, Moses, children of Israel, what was it like? Those walls of water going through the Red Sea. <laughs> We're going to talk to these folks. I I never connected that for a long time because they're just like, you know, they they lived, they died, they're gone, they're history. No, they're alive. They're alive, they're they're hanging over the balcony of heaven right now, looking down. So mission accomplished. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and many disciples, they returned to Lystra, they returned here, Iconium and, and Antioch, Again, disciples are made, churches are born, and you know, whenever there's a birth, it's like a real birth, there's blood, there's sweat, there's tears. I was there for every child that we had. I always felt, I always felt like, you know, the least I can do is kind of be there and hold her hand, you know, and, and our first child was when they, you know, they started the birthing movement. Remember that back in the 70s, they started the birthing movement kind of a thing where where, you know, the, the husband, you know, the father could go in and, and be there and the whole thing. And, um, and it kind of, you know, over the course of our having five kids, it kind of changed from the very first time we did it in a very sterile environment, uh, totally different. But I, I always figured that's the least I could do. But, you know, there it, it was always blood. There was always sweat. And there were always tears, tears of joy. And that's, you know, when God's birthing something... We see that here in the book of Acts over and over again. And sometimes when God is birthing something in your life, maybe that too blood, sweat, tears. Strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them, continue in the faith, and saying, We must through many tribulations enter this, uh, the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders or leaders in every church, prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they believed. And the thing, too, about, you know what our trials, realize this, trials are often redemptive. That oftentimes when we're in trials and we're getting beat up by circumstances and all that sort of thing, God's using it to redeem somebody. It's, 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 it's messianic. It's because of Christ. He wonderfully works and uses everything. Nothing is wasted with him. We have to remember that. So, and it's hard for us, I think, when we're going through you know, some trials. So they're, they're, they're taking their journey back home. Verse 26, they sail to Antioch. Uh, this is Antioch in Syria where they had been commended uh, to the grace uh, of God for the work that they had completed. Let me say this, folks, as we, we wrap up here. If God has given you a task... Finish it. Don't be a quitter. Remember at the beginning of this first journey, John Mark, he quit. If God has given you a task, see it through. They completed the work they were called to. And they reported all that that God had done with them, that he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles and so they stayed there a long time with the disciples. And so to God be the glory, great things he has done. They didn't go back and say, look what we did. No, look what the Lord did. They realized, man, they were just simply conduits. And you know, Paul would later write to Timothy, and I just want to read a few verses for you. In 2 Timothy 3, 10 through 7, and he's speaking about this very event here in chapter 14 when he says, but you have carefully followed My doctrine. Manner of life, my purpose, my faith, my long-suffering and love and perseverance. Persecutions and afflictions which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and Lystra. What persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. David would say that four times in Psalm 34. All of his trials, out of, the, out of all my troubles the Lord will deliver me. And you notice something, too? It's the same Lord, and he will deliver, he will work in our situations, in our circumstances. And yes, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Jesus Christ. Parents, invest the scriptures in your kids. Timothy had a Gentile father, a Jewish mother. His grandmother's name was Lois. His mother's name was was Eunice. And they invested in that young man. And we'll see in these next chapters here, he becomes Timothy, young Timothy, becomes a part of the team on the second journey. Invest the scripture. In your kids. can't do any better than that. Prepare them. Look what it did for Timothy. So all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. In other words, God breathes that out and is profitable for doctrine, for teaching, for reproof and correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God or the person of God may be complete, completely equipped for every good work. And we praise you, Father. Thank you, Lord, for... Lord, your grace, Lord, in our lives, your favor. And we see how through many trials, many snares, Lord, you brought Paul Barnabas. You've always brought your people through. We thank you, Lord, for your work and your favor in our lives. And I pray for us here this morning, Lord. Lord, we may be in a difficult place. Lord, help us, we pray. To, by faith, bring you into the equation of our problem, of our predicament, and of our situation. And to watch you work. So, Lord, may you strengthen our faith. I pray, God, that you'd bless your people. Bless us as we go. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Shall we stand?